Welcome to the Mini Break, your date podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, September 6th. It was a very straightforward day of tennis in New York. All four of our U.S. Open quarterfinal matches decided in straight sets. Those, of course, are the results I want to recap for all of you here on today's show. We'll break down the mechanics of another dominant Arena Sabalenka victory. Sabalenka becoming the first player since Serena Williams in 2016 to reach the semifinals at all four majors in a single season. She has been dominant, has not dropped a set yet in New York, and as she will ascend to the world number one ranking following this event, she certainly seems determined to play the part again. She was dominant against her 20-year-old opponent from China, another straight set win for Sabalenka. That will be where we lead today's show, but of course, there were some good matches. There was some good tennis featured throughout the course of the day, even if the results were never in doubt, certainly to Watch Daniil Medvedev, Andre Rublev not only battle one another, but battle the conditions in New York. That was a storyline earlier in the day as it remains hot, it remains humid, it remains brutal on court for all of these competitors. Nevertheless, Daniil Medvedev able to persist. He's into another U.S. Open semifinal. He, of course, will be joined by Carlos Alcaraz. His match never in doubt. I believe he went unbroken in the match on his way to a straight set victory over Alex Zverev. Of course, last but certainly not least, how about Madison Keys? I think you could make a pretty convincing argument that tomorrow's semifinal between her, Arena Sabalenka, that's a de facto championship match. Those are the two players, to me, that have played the best tennis in New York. Now, obviously, Coco Goff's had this magnificent summer, as has Karolina Muchova, to her credit. I'm not saying they don't belong in this tier of conversation. Certainly will play a role in championship weekend, but just via the eye test, Madison Keys is blitzing the ball. And again, that overwhelming brand of power tennis she can play. Sabalenka-esque on court right now for Keys, dominant in a straight set victory over Marketa Vondrosova. Again, all these matches in straight sets, so not a ton of doubt from a tennis perspective. I suppose we'll veer away from the tactics of each of these match talk more big picture about each of them on today's show i anticipate this will be a shorter mini break podcast episode but again as always my agenda is to catch all of you listeners up on everything that's unfolded over the last 24 hours at the u.s open now of course if you're looking for updates on other things happening in the tennis world head on over to our great shot podcast feed john parsons and i talked about the countless results produced by players with college tennis ties in the pro world over the past week. That also includes a look at the U.S. Open doubles, both on the men's, women's, and mixed side of things. So if you're looking for some doubles talk, check out that GSP episode. Of course, our man, Damian Kust, on the beat, as always, updating you on all things ATP Challenger Tour. It's busy times here at Cracked Rackets. You can catch up on everything happening in the tennis world by, of course, tuning into any of our podcasts. Like, rate, subscribe, review, share with your friends, whether it be the Mini Break Podcast feed, the Great Shot Podcast feed, Cracked Interviews Podcast feed, the Breakpoint Show, or any of the other things we're up to, which, of course, includes streaming the Oklahoma Tennis Foundation of 
event. That event is next weekend, folks. So yes, all of us will be fatigued by the post-U.S. Open, I suppose, swing, nevertheless, or we will all have been fatigued by that North American hardcourt swing. Use the week to recover. Come join us in the weekend. It's a really fun team event, a really funky charity format that I am certain all of you tennis fans will enjoy. We have some really fun players in the event as well. We'll talk more about that next week. But again, do want to put that Oklahoma Tennis Foundation event on all of your tennis fans' radars. We'll carry it on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. So be sure to go like, subscribe, to that channel now. I, that's what they do on YouTube. I don't think you like the channel. I think you subscribe to the channel. Let's get that over 10,000. Go subscribe today. Would be greatly appreciated by all of us here at Crack Rackets. That said, I know what you all appreciate is updates on all things U.S. Open, so we'll get there after one more shout-out to our dear friends at Tennis Point. Tennis-Point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world. All right. All that said, let's talk Wednesday at the 2023, Wednesday, September 6th, excuse me, second Wednesday at this 2023 U.S. Open. Let's start with the most dominant player of the week. It's not Carlos Alcaraz. It's not Novak Djokovic. It's not Coco Goff. It's Arena Sabalenka. She will ascend to the world number one ranking following this event. And as I alluded to earlier, my God goodness has she looked the part throughout the course of her week and a half in New York Sabalenka a fifth consecutive straight set victory this time 6-1-6-4 over Jung Chin Wen again the match was never in doubt Sabalenka for I think the fifth consecutive match breaks her opponent in her opening service game races out I think to it was either three love or a four love lead in about 15 minutes and you know again from there is swinging freely, is putting the sort of elite pressure on that Jung Chin Wen forehand that while that backswing has been cleaned up, it's still a bigger backswing for Chin Wen. And thus, again, when pressured by the elite pace that Sabalenka provides in her plus one attacks, in her just relentlessness from the baseline, I thought that wing broke down. Now, again, Chin Wen only 16 unforced errors in this match to Sabalenka's 12. I do think that's fair. I do think a lot of the errors that came off of Chin Wen's racket were forced. And again, Chin Wen's a great mover. She'll get her racket on the ball. She'll give herself at least some sort of chance to make some sort of play on things. But Sabalenka's just so decisive, so definitive, so exceptional. I mean... Three of seven on break points, but she didn't face a break point herself. Won 23 of 26 points behind the first serve. I believe won, yeah, I believe won 50% of her second serve points was, again, three of seven on break point chances. 17 winners against 12 unforced errors. Eight of nine at the net, but she moved forward more than nine times. You know, again, it was that plus one approach that came back, uh, that never came back or, you know, again, was sent wide, was sent into the net, was just un- was unable to be returned by Jung Chin Wen. Sabalenka, as she has done all tournament long, overwhelmed her opponent. And look, I do think it's worth noting, Chin Wen served very poorly in this match. She made only 41% of her first serves. Now, she has an elite first serve. She's top 10 in hold percentage on the season. She has the ability to pressure Sabalenka and 
you know, again, or at least in theory, make her uncomfortable, play some plus one tennis herself, get Sabalenka off her back foot. She just didn't make enough first serves to do that on this day. And again, I mentioned that 50%, I think it was 52% ultimately second serve win percentage. The problem is more than half her points are played on that second serve, right? So Sabalenka, who's untouchable on serve on this day, she's cruising. She can afford to take bigger cuts on her own return of serve. She's been dominant all season long deserves to rise to the world number one ranking. I get that. You know, again, numbers-wise, Iga has more wins. I think right now Iga has one more title. Iga, I think, hasn't lost a first-round match, and I guess Sabalenka lost the one first-round match in Rome at the start of this season. But again, you know, quarterfinal-wise, they're pretty close in number. Semifinals, finals, again, all the numbers are pretty close this year. Obviously, if Sabalenka takes that second slam title, I do think she probably propels herself into first place heading into the home stretch in that player of the year, who's the best player in the world right now race. And that's the highest compliment I can offer Arena Sabalenka, is it's now a real question. Who's the number one player in the world? Is it Iga? Is it Sabalenka? Obviously, I think the only person, well, as much as we would have loved to see a Sabalenka-Iga final, I think that's the final Sabalenka was anticipating and hoping for as she continues this ascent because, you know, to be the best, you got to beat the best. And for two years, there's been no doubt Iga Sviantek has been the most consistent best player in the world. Sabalenka's been that consistent this year, not just the four semifinals at the majors, again, first to do that since Serena in 2016, but she's 49-10. and 10. 49 and 10 overall on the season. She's made 11 different quarterfinals, five different finals, and has played, let's see, let's do a quick count here. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. She's played 14 events, 11 quarterfinals, five finals, three titles in 11 events. And by the way, she could make it four and uh, should get a fourth title, sixth final, if she can go ahead and win this U.S. Open. And then two of those four, by the way, are now slam titles here this season. And again, she's 49 and 10 overall. She's winning 83% of her matches. Should she win this U.S. Open? Should she go on to win the year-end finals? We're not talking about a top-tier Pantheon level season. We're not talking, you know, prime Serena. We're not talking prime Graf, prime Everett, prime Navratilova, prime Celis, who always gets left short of that conversation. But Celis's prime is just as good as any of those players ever. Obviously, a little bit shorter, unfortunately. But this one season doesn't belong. You know, again, it doesn't elevate her quite towards that tier. But keep in mind, Sabalenka's 25 years old. And if this is the beginning of a three-year run or, you know, if last season, the back half of last season was part one and she's now a year and a half into this three and a half, five-year prime stretch, you get two slams in a season, you've just done something special. And again, Arena Sabalenka has put herself in a position to accomplish exactly that. She, as good as Madison Keys has been, you can't even compare the two because Keys has been tested. Samsonova, uh, not really tested by Pagula, not really tested, I suppose, by Von Drusova much in her past two matches because she has been that exceptional. But Sabalenka's done that the whole time. And again, against Kasakina, match never in doubt. Obviously, the first three rounds, never in doubt. Now the definitive victory here over Jung Chin Wen. Sabalenka's third to the semifinals. She deserves to be. I test-wise, again, she's just blitzing forehands. She's so comfortable. She's moving so well. She's off the court in under an hour and a half every time. 
She's per, you know, it's perfectly measured, perfectly well rested. Now, obviously, she's had some semifinal struggles over her past couple of slams. The loss to Jabur in three sets at Wimbledon. The loss, of course, in uh, Roland Garros to Carolina Muhova, seven-five in the third. Obviously, had opportunities leading in both of those matches. But she's put herself in a position to do it again. And now, obviously, just I was going I was going to actually go chronologically on the day, but just because it makes more sense to move into Madison Keys. This is by far Sabalenka's biggest test of the tournament. And look, by the way, just a, a passing note on Chin Wen, because I don't want to forget this, and I suppose we'll talk about her more when we recap the biggest winners of this event. But Chin Wen, 29 and 17 overall on the year. She's back up to 22 in the live rankings, three off her career high, has now made her first slam quarterfinals. She won a title in Palermo. I think she's won something like 9, 12 of her last 16 matches. It's a really good run for a 20-year-old who hadn't, you know, again, prior to that point was 17 and 12 overall on the year and really hadn't had a notable result since making the semifinal of Abu Dhabi back at the start of February. Chin Wen has certainly righted the ship coming out of this U.S. Open, and it's clear her partnership now with uh, Wim Fassett is going to pay dividends. You see the improvement on the forehand wing already. I know Sabalenka overwhelmed her with pace, but it was just a little bit harder for Sabalenka to do than it may once have previously been. I think Chin Wen has to be considered one of the biggest winners of this event because, again, she's the second youngest player. uh, Excuse me. She's the second highest ranked player age 21 or under. And again, she doesn't turn 20 till uh, 21 till October of this year. Slam quarterfinal under her belt, title under her belt this season, sustains a top 30 ranking despite dealing with some serious injuries to start the season. Chin Wen has righted the path. It's Sabalenka, though, who looks, again, elite right now. And again, she's going to have to sustain that level, taking on a Madison Keys, who, in my opinion, is in the midst of a career season. And if you don't believe me, Let's check out the numbers. You look for Madison Keys, 33 and 11 now overall on the year. That 75% win percentage is her highest single season win percentage of her career. And I understand there have been in seasons past where, you know, she's made a slam final. Obviously still has an opportunity to do that once again here in 2023, but you now look at what she's done at back-to-back majors, semis of the US Open quarterfinals of Wimbledon. She wins that title in Eastbourne as well. You look for Keys you know, since the start of July has clearly been one of the 10 best players in the world. You look at her in the points race now, she's up to number nine within 500 points of eighth place on Jabur with San Diego, Guadalajara, still Ostrava and Linz still on the schedule for her to make a move. 33 and 11 is nothing to bat your eye at. And just listen to the pathway she's taken. You look at the Sabalenka side of things, right? Kasakina, the youngster, and Chin Wen. It's been a pretty ideal path for Sabalenka. It's been anything but for Madison Keys. She faced a Ludmilla Samsonova, who made the DC semis, the Canada finals. She faced that Samsonova in round number three. She faces Canada champion Jessica Pagula in the fourth round. Now she's taking on Wimbledon champion Marketa Vondrosova in the quarterfinals. She was just one set total between those three matches, has won her last six sets played, all of them 6-4 or more definitive. You know, one in four against Marketa Vondrosova. The first set was over in like 30 minutes tops. And, you know, it's a second consecutive match. Madison Keys made 75% of her first serves against Pagula. She made 70% of them against Vondrosova. And when she's doing that, 
it's just really difficult to beat her because, again, it's Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club adjacent power. It's that ability to just take the racket out of your opponent's hand, the big 115-mile-per-hour first serve to all the different spots, popped up, gives her time to swing so freely into that first forehand, to take that backhand down the line fluidly. And, you know, again, for Keys, she fought off all nine break points that she faced in this match was, you know, three of three on breakpoint chances herself. 19 winners to Vondrosova's 10, 28 unforced errors to Vondrosova's 19, so they were pretty even there. The biggest differentiator was that first serve, that ability to, again, set up points freely for herself. And look, credit to Vondrosova. The second set of this match might have been the most competitive set of tennis we saw. Ah, uh, no, Medvedev and Rublev featured the most competitive sets of tennis, but this was the next on the list uh, because... Vondrosova started tracking down that extra ball. Vondrosova started dipping that first pass at the feet of Madison Keys. You look for Keys, 8 of 19 at points on the net in set number two. That's what Vondrosova does, right? That two passing shot combination dips the first one at your feet, so you have to pop it up. Second one, she can lob you. She can pass you a line. She can pass you short angle cross. She can hit all the shots. You know, the, an expansive toolkit, an expensive bag of tricks. Uh, expansive for, not expensive, well, I guess expensive and expansive for Marketa Vondrosova. But it was the pure power generation. It just felt like Madison Keys was able to hit through all of that. And again, 19 winners to 28 unforced errors. That doesn't sound particularly pronounced, but you got to keep in mind what these conditions were in New York. Again, just so brutally hot, brutally humid, brutally difficult to hit through these courts. And, you know, Vondrosova is going to make life that much tougher for you just given her speed, given her tenacity, that ability to extend rallies. Man, Madison Keys just, again, the backhand line in particular being blitzed right now. She's so confident behind the first serve that she's able to just swing so freely on the return of serve. And, you know, again, I think she won, let's see, Vondrosova played 46 points on serve in this match. She won 20, uh, 25 of those 46. So, you know, again, 25-21 split in terms of total points won. Essentially, Keys plays Vondrosova even on her serve. The biggest difference was she made 70% of her first serves. She won 69% of those first serve points. She was able to execute her best weapon more consistently than anything Vondrosova was able to do. And look, again, it wasn't the prettiest tennis. There was a lot of blitzing by Keys, especially the first set was just a blowout. Keys hit Vondrosova off the court. Vondrosova scrapped. I thought in particular she started playing much more aggressively and changing direction and going down the line more aggressively. Just I'm not hitting two balls in the same direction anymore, playing the slice, playing the short angles, just doing anything she could to get Madison Keys out of the center of the court. But, man, even then, Madison Keys was just – she's seen the ball like a grapefruit right now, a deserving semifinalist at this event. And, you know, again, what, she made semifinals of Australia last year, now semifinals here in New York this season – When she plays her best, she's clearly one of the 10 best hardcourt players in the world with this result. By the way, you look in the live rankings, keys back up to 11. Her career high is only number seven. Like She is in a legitimate position because she did not have the best Australia last year, losing third round to Vika. You know, again, she played the United Cup, so she didn't really get any points for herself. There's a lot of opportunity in January. She lost first round Indian Wells, second round Miami. So those first three months, Madison Keys absolutely has positioned herself. You have quarterfinals, Wimbledon, semifinals, U.S. Open on your resume. Top 10 pushes available 
Madison Keys, 28 years old, is back on top 10 watch with how well she has played, with where she has positioned herself in the rankings. Again, a brilliant job to set up a really fun power tennis matchup on Thursday night between her and Sabalenka. And oh, if I were to have an ink, I mean, again, it's very similar game styles. I just think Sabalenka is playing better right now. And you do wonder the differentiating factor. The American crowd will be, you know, a crowd that's going to be warmed up by the Goff Muhova match. If Goff wins, now they're that much more riled up, rooting for a potential All American final. And how funny would that be, given the last All-American final was Keys versus Sloan. You know, again, if it's another Keys, but this time it's Coco Goff in that position. Just, again, the shifting of the generations. And it was fascinating to hear Madison Keys talk about, look, she's no longer in the spotlight. She's no longer the American woman that every journalist is talking about. Everyone is covering closely, seeing if she can surpass or supplant Serena as the face of American women's tennis you know, that hasn't been the burden Keyes has had to bear, obviously, with the rise of a sensational teenager like Goff, with Pagula legitimately pushing into the top five of the rankings. You know, the Anissa Mova runs as well, Jennifer Brady slam finals, Danielle Collins final runs. Madison Keyes has not had to wear the, again, shoulder the burden of being the face of American women's tennis for the last three, four years. And you know, again, to hear her express how that freedom has helped her in her game was remarkable to hear. She's been remarkable this week. Again, she has long been an invitee in Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club. The only thing missing for her to be a full-on member is that slam title. She's playing well enough to do it. She's, if she makes 70% of her first serve, she will be in the match with Arena Sabalenka. Now, I do think Sabalenka is a better mover. I like Sabalenka's backhand a little bit more fluid. She can play the slice a little bit more comfortably. I think she's more comfortable playing short angle cross court and opening things up that way instead of the linear power you so frequently see from Keys. But that linear power from Keys is just disrupting. She's playing well enough to do it. She'll have the crowd behind her. If she can get this to a third set, I do think she wins the match. But I'm taking Sabalenka in a tight straight. So I'll go 6-4 and four overall for Arena Sabalenka to advance. Uh, and again, more than anything else, I think this is going to be really fun tennis on Thursday night. And by the way, what a fun contrast. The power tennis of Keys, Sabalenka, the athleticism, the variety of Muhova, uh, Goff, and, you know, again, just... You know you're going to see a lot of creativity in that match. You know you're going to see both of them moving forward, showing off their uh, improvisational skills and their solidness at the net. It's it's and it's it's by the way, four players who are all in the top ten of the points race. Keys is ninth, Muhova's seventh, and she, you know, Muhova's second semifinal of the year at the majors. Sabalenka's fourth. Golf has obviously been in the mix and just won Cincinnati. Keys was a quarter finalist at Wimbledon. We got big names. We got showtime. We've got primetime matchups at the Open. Nighttime in New York is always special. You got two Americans to propel the American crowd forward. Two Americans well-known, well-liked by the American crowds in Madison Keys, in Coco Golf. Buckle your seatbelts, folks. It's going to be a very fun championship weekend in New York. Again, Goff versus Muhova. Goff, a 62.3% favorite. Keys versus Sabalenka. Sabalenka, a 68% favorite. Sabalenka, a 37.6% favorite to win the title. 3.3% ahead of Coco Goff as we enter Thursday's semifinal matches. We will obviously have further recaps for all of the uh, on those two matches for all of you tomorrow. On the men's side of things, 
look, I'm going to go through these a little bit more quickly, not because I think, oh, because they're more decisive. Again, what did we learn that was new about Carlos Alcaraz's win, uh, from Carlos Alcaraz's win over Zverev? Zverev in particular physically just didn't look like himself in sets two, in sets three, and he talked about that after the match. You could see he was pulling off a little on the first serve. Instead of 120, 125, it was 110, 115, and, you know, again, you can't give Carlos Alcaraz any sort of opening. Alcaraz, 4 for 4 on breakpoint chances. Zverev, 0 for 5. Zverev, 7 for 25 on second serve points. Alcaraz just unloaded on those first returns. And it just felt like he got Zverev on the stretch so early in rallies. And when Alcaraz is on his foot, front foot, we know how decisive he can be. 28 of 35 at the net. Now, when Zverev did try to press forward, did try to put pressure on Alcaraz, he was just too indecisive, too short on his approach shots. He goes just 9 of 21 at the net. 22 winners against 35 unforced errors. Now, again, first six games of this match looked like it was going to Zverev's pace. Things were... Uh, things were extended physically. Rallies were going 10, 12, 14 shots. Alcaraz wasn't having these opportunity to rip easy forehands early. He was really having to extend himself to that ad corner to find forehands because Zverev was finding that backhand corner. He just could only do it for six games. And from there, it was all on Alcaraz's terms. Again, with how hot, humid it is, he's sweaty, he's sleeveless, he just looks like a superhero. He was dominant in a straight set, went into another major semifinal. It looks like, it certainly looks like we're headed for Alcaraz Djokovic, the rematch. And again, it would be their third straight slam going head to head. By the way, Alcaraz now, I think he's made four straight semifinals at majors US Open, French Open, Wimbledon, US Open again. He now trails just Bjorn Borg in terms of win percentage, in terms of semifinal appearances at majors prior to the age of 21. It's one of the best 21 and under players we've ever seen, period. One of the best 21 and under players we have ever seen, period, on the ATP Tour. Borg, Nadal, Alcaraz. And if you want to throw, you know, Becker on that Mount Rushmore, you want to make a case for Mats Lander, say that's your group of five. Yeah, that's the group of five. But Alcaraz better freaking be in that group of five because... Sweet baby Rays. Like, I don't care if it's officially compromised. Zverev, he destroyed him. He has looked like the world number one this entire event. Dropped just one set, which required jaw-droppingly excellent tennis from Dan Evans to get to this semifinal. He's now, what, 58-6? and six. He's won 91% of his matches this season. You know, again, great for Zverev. He should be back in the top 10. He's up to number 10 in the live ranking, so indeed he will be back up to the top 10, barring a Ben Shelton run to the title here. Nope, even if Ben Shelton wins the title, he'll still be 15 points behind Zverev. So Zverev back into the top 10, 20 points ahead of Taylor Fritz right now in the points race, um, holding on to that eighth spot, but only 25 points points behind Runa in seventh with, again, Paris and Vienna and all these things. Shanghai, I believe, is coming back this year still to go. Zverev has worked his way back into the top 10, has the first three months of the season as runway really as well before we start getting to French Open points and Hamburg title points and serious things for him to have to defend. But the story is Alcaraz, dominant as always. And look, Alcaraz dominated Medvedev a couple of times they've played this season, whether it was the 3-3-3 three, three, and three at Wimbledon, whether it was the 3-2 and two in the Indian Wells final. 
But the best part is we're going to get to see it again as Medvedev will, has advanced via a straight set victory over Andre Rublev, 6-4, to advance to his, uh, what, fourth U.S. Open semifinal? Maybe third, I want to say. And obviously for Medvedev, given what quarterfinal loss to Demon in Canada, round of 16 loss to Zverev in three in Cincy, didn't have the best form heading into this event, but Beats Demon Hour in four sets in the round of 16. Straight set win over an always tricky fellow countryman, dear friend of his in Andre Rublev, where, look, these guys felt the conditions more than anything. And I talked about this when I went on No Challenges Remainings, Ben Rothenberg, our dear friend's podcast. Climate change is real. And it is impacting tennis. I mean, again, there was an article written by Reuters that on average now these players are playing in conditions five degrees Celsius warmer than they were prior, uh, than they used to play in and given the increased physicality of the game they're spending, I think it was like 27 minutes on average longer on court than they once did per match. And you do that, you know, again, in five degree heat, you add that up over the course of two weeks. You could just tell physically how drained these two were so quickly in the match. You saw that in Tiafo Shelton as well, right? In their night match a few nights ago, it's a serious discussion to have. And, you know, again, look, tennis is always going to be played outdoors in these, you know, we will always be subject to the weather in this sport. That's how we roll. Yes, you can close the roof. You should probably do that whenever the conditions call for it. There should be no shame. No, not feel like you're compromising the event and trying to make sure that we're playing in conditions that can that are most optimal for these players. I understand you got to weather the conditions. That's part of the sport. But as fans, we want to, you know, Tennis is also entertainment. We want to see the best product available. And if there's a way to tailor the conditions to make it more optimal for each of the players, you should always take that opportunity to do so. I mean, again, there were just moments in this match where you got to just credit to Neil Medvedev, who he had the ice skates on. He was everywhere. He was extending rallies. He always injects doubt into Andre Rublev, who just is never certain, should I turn on this forehand? Should I take this backhand down the line? I will say, Medvedev felt a little more willing to play forehand to forehand in this match. And, you know, again, Medvedev still has not served particularly well. Nine more double faults, only made 55% of his first serves. 26 winners against 40 unforced errors. Did go down an early break in set number one, and yet... You know, again, you have to you have to put the final nail in the coffin. You have to be the one who to hit through the brick wall, have the decisiveness, have the repeated authority uh, in your strokes to hit through Daniil Medvedev. And with all due respect to Andre Rublev on this day, he did not. Now again, Rublev's forty four and eighteen overall in the year. Quarters Australia, uh, uh, round of thirty two Roland Garros, but quarters Wimbledon, quarters U.S. Open. I think he's now made quarterfinals at something like, yeah, four of his last five majors. Excuse me, five of his last six majors. Um, That's how you keep a top 10 ranking. Andre Rublev sitting pretty at the number five spot in the year-end points race. He's got a healthy 600-point lead on Alex Virev, who's in eighth place. You make the year-end finals, what, this would be a third straight tour finals for Andre Rublev? And Again, Rublev is still just 25 years old. There's a serious world where he'll make five to seven consecutively. And I would venture to say there are maybe 20 players in tennis history who have made five straight, let alone seven straight tour-level finals. And that feels legitimately in play for Andre Rublev, given how frequently he plays, given how competent he is across surfaces, how if you just don't have the physicality to withstand his barrage of attacks. If you don't have a weapon to hit him off center, you're just not going to beat him. 
It's a status quo slam for Andre Rublev. Hold seed, gets to the quarters. Knocked out, though, by the more informed Daniil Medvedev. And look, we'll preview the men's semifinals tomorrow. But Shelton Djokovic, Medvedev Alcaraz, you know we're all in here on, at Crack Racket. So, of course, we will continue to have coverage for all of you of the rest of this U.S. Open moving forward each and every day on this show. A shout-out, of course, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the f*** of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. A shout-out to him. A shout-out as well to our dear friends at Tennis Point, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world. With all of that said, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel West off our friends at Tennis Point from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. And we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.